Self-talk is the endless stream of unspoken thoughts that run through your head, my head, everyone's head all day. Everyone does self-talk, but many people are not aware of their own thought patterns because they're so familiar with them. It's the way that I always think that they don't recognize what it is. So self-talk can either be positive or negative. Uh, Self-talk comes from logic, reason, also from feelings, perceptions about yourself, about the world around you, about your your own experiences and backgrounds. And self-talk is usually positive or negative. So the term positive thinking is really self-talk that's predominantly upbeat. And research has shown that positive thinking, so people whose self-talk is predominantly upbeat, they have healthier and longer lives. Uh, They have lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress, and a lot greater resistance to everything from the hardships of life to the common cold. Um, But So there's all these psychologists and bloggers and life coaches that are out there to help people by changing their minds. They want to help people think more positive thoughts, change their minds so they think more positive thoughts, and then they're going to help them in their life. So, for example, if you struggle with the negative self-talk of, I'm not good enough, you'd go to one of these life coaches and they'd try to change your mind to convince you you are good enough. Positive thinking, I am good enough. Or, I can't do this. Uh, Self-talk positive coaches, the life coaches would say, I can do this. It's just a matter of time. So believe that. Live like that's true. I'm worse than everyone else. That's another negative self-talk narrative. And then these life coaches would want you to think positively. I'm just as good. In some cases, I'm better. And if there was no God or if God was distant and not personally involved in our lives, that'd be the end of this sermon. Just do better Think more positive thoughts. You'll live longer. You'll be happier. You'll be okay. Just keep telling yourself that you'll be okay and you'll be okay. But there's good news. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. There is objective truth that we can frame up our lives around. And because of that, we can engage both positive and enjoyable parts and negative, maybe more difficult parts of our life in light of truth. And just like life coaches, psychologists, and bloggers are trying to help people by changing their minds, God wants to go after your mind and my mind. He wants to change us fundamentally. He wants to transform us by, in one way, is through our thinking. Not just to teach us to think more highly of ourselves, which is the core of this positive thinking movement, but to teach us how to think about truth. And so we've been going through 2 Corinthians, and this is a book where Paul addresses a church that's really in a leadership crisis. Their question is, who should we follow? There's these false apostles, these super apostles. Basically, there's these leaders that have come in and gained a following in part of the Corinthian church. And... Paul is defending his ministry, but he's also challenging the Corinthians' thought patterns. What do you think is impressive? Who do you think is worth following? What do you really believe is true? And so we've been in this letter for about five weeks now. This is week number six, seven if you include the overview. And uh, I just want to give a quick 
overview of where we've been as we prepare for our passage this morning. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we saw that God comforts us in our suffering, and God actually uses suffering as a way for him to bring comfort to others. And so Paul taught that, but he also gave his own life story in that passage as an example, the suffering that he experienced in Asia and how God used that in the lives of other people. And then in verses 12 through 14, Paul just gave his reasons for being confident as a leader. And he gave three reasons. One, he said, my boast is in God's grace. And then two, God's grace has led me to live a holy life, a life set apart for God. And then three, because I'm living this holy life as a response to God's grace and in the power of God's grace, I'm experiencing thriving relationships, even with you who are questioning my leadership. Paul says that you're one of my reasons for confidence, Corinthians. And then we looked at verses 15 through 24 of chapter 1, where Paul made these plans that he changed. And the Corinthians were kind of giving him some pushback, like, well, can we trust Paul because he's changing his plans? And Paul points to God's promise, the unchanging promise of Christ, and how in Christ, all of God's promises are fulfilled. They're all yes in Jesus. And so Paul is basically saying, you can trust me because Christ is the one that I'm proclaiming. He's the one I'm building my plans around. And then chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we looked at how Paul chose his actions, his attitude, even his awareness of spiritual realities in the midst of really intense feelings. I mean, this is a church that Paul planted, a church that Paul loved deeply, and a church that was questioning Paul's legitimacy as a leader. So he, Paul had a lot of feelings, and we saw that at the beginning of chapter 2, but he made these choices even in the midst of his intense feelings. These choices that he made were for their good and not for his own personal benefit. And then last week we looked at how Paul demonstrated some characteristics of really good, healthy relationships that they're important. He left a great opportunity, a great ministry opportunity at Troas when Paul was there. He left that in order to go find Titus because that relationship with Titus and with the Corinthians was so important to Paul. Uh, He also shows that he defined his relationship with God as a conquered slave. Paul is a conquered slave being led in triumph by Christ. So Christ is the one getting all the glory and Paul's the conquered slave. But being a conquered slave was effective to bring people to a point of decision. So relationships were effective. It brought people to life if they choose to accept the gospel of Christ, and it brought people to death if they refuse. And Paul found his adequacy in relationship to God in Christ. So he's inviting us, I believe, as he invites the Corinthians into this new way of thinking. What are the reasons for your confidence, both for the Corinthians and for us today. We're all following some leaders, and we're all leading others in some capacity, and who you follow will dictate how you lead. That's why Paul wrote this letter. He didn't want them to follow the wrong leaders so that they would lead others down the wrong path. That brings us to our text today, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 
Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So in these six verses, I see Paul giving two clear proofs of his adequacy as a leader, his adequacy as a minister, his adequacy in relationship to God and with them. And those proofs are his relationship with them and his relationship with God. So Paul's basically saying, you can trust me, you can follow me because of my relationship with you and because of my relationship with God. And that should sound familiar uh, because you hear something like that every week. And last week, I said that that's the most important work that we're called to here at Orchard, the work of relationship with God and others. And here's where I get that from. Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Out of all the stuff that God's asking us to do, what's the most important stuff for us to focus on? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then he gives a second. The guy asked for one and he gives him two. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so Jesus gives him two and he gives them in the order that he does for a good reason because we can't really love people without loving God the most. So we can only love people well by loving God first. So that's, those are the proofs, relationship with people and relationship with God. So let's, let's dig into the first proof that Paul gives in verses one through three. He says, a proof of my adequacy is my relationship with you, the Corinthians. Paul says, you're our letter of recommendation. So they're looking for like a reference letter, like a letter of recommendation you'd include on an application. And Paul says, look in the mirror, look into the internal mirror. You're our letter because it's clear to everyone that you are not what you once were. Because of our influence, because of our ministry, not many of you were wise or mighty or noble when you were called to follow Jesus but God has chosen you, the weak things of the world, to shame the strong so that no one can boast before God. And Paul also says, our love for you is clear to all. And so when he uses this picture of a reference letter or a letter of recommendation, I think he's also kind of given a little slight jab to these uh, opponents, these teachers who have infiltrated the church, Paul's opponents, the super apostles, Because these guys would come with reference letters, 
with letters of recommendation showing how impressive they were, and they'd use these letters for their advantage. Basically, because I have this letter, hey, you should listen to me. Instead of Paul's MO, which was, hey, I'm going to come and try to be a blessing to you, and I'm not going to carry around letters of recommendation. I'm going to invest in people's lives so that they change, and that'll be my letter of recommendation. Is Christ work in you. So Paul says, you're our letter, and he also says, you are a letter of Christ. So he's connecting this first proof of relationship with others with the second proof of relationship with God. When he says that you're our letter, Paul's clarifying and saying, but we didn't write you, we only cared for you. The word cared for literally means to serve. So Paul says, we served you, we're our letter. You are our letter because we took care of you. But you're Christ's letter because he wrote you. Paul writes, you're not written with ink. That's the way that I write letters. But with the spirit of the living God, that's the way that Jesus writes letters of recommendation. So you're not just our letter. You're also a letter of Christ. And then when he says, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, Paul is alluding to the Old Testament. When he says tablets of stone, it should bring to mind the Ten Commandments, which God wrote on tablets of stone, gave to Moses to give to the people. But then when Paul says tablets of human hearts, that's also in the Old Testament. That's in Ezekiel 11, when God promises in the future a new covenant and to that new covenant people God says I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them I'll remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so this promise pointed to the fulfillment of the law a new order being established the new covenant and covenant is a word that we don't really use much today so I thought I'd try to uh, illustrate really what it means um, it is an agreement, but it's not like a business transaction. It's not like a contract. So when Rose and I bought our house and we financed it, we had to sign all these papers, right? Um, and so I agreed to pay a mortgage for this amount of time and this amount of money, and this is my signature saying I agree to this deal. But if in 10 years I find a better interest rate and I want to refinance, uh, I can basically terminate that deal and move it over there. And it's not personal, right? It's not personal at all. It's just business. Covenants don't work like that. Covenants are personal. And so when you come uh, at the front of a church or even in a, court, a courtroom, wherever you get married, marriage is a good picture of covenant because it's personal and regardless of circumstances, your commitment is there for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. It doesn't matter if you walk out of there and one of you gets hit by a bus. As long as they're still breathing, you're with them. It's the highest form of commitment. So hold on to that thought of covenant. Just We're going to push the pause button there because Paul seems to. And we're going to move from the first proof of adequacy into the second which is relationship with God. And I think Paul saved his best answer for their question of 
what makes you legitimate, what makes you adequate, he saved his best answer for last. Uh, in last week in chapter 2, verse 16, Paul asked the question, who's adequate for these things? Meaning, who's adequate to carry out this life-giving ministry that God has entrusted to some? Who's adequate for these things? And Paul answers that question directly in verses 4 through 6. He says, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So there's never been a person in my life uh, that I've known who doesn't either struggle with thinking too highly of themselves or thinking too lowly of themselves at time. Uh, to be confident in your own abilities or to wallow in the pity of self-condemnation. And many, most people that I know well are really at both ends of the spectrum at different points in their life. But this passage frames it up truthfully that our confidence shouldn't rest on ourselves or our ability or our lack of ability because it's not about us. It's about Christ. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate or competent or sufficient in ourselves to do anything or to claim anything for ourselves. Our adequacy comes from God. And so to get really practical real quick is if meeting people, new people, makes you feel uncomfortable, and if this is really true, and it is, that God has made us for a relationship with himself, I'm saying this from firsthand experience. I don't like meeting new people naturally. But I do like it now because I've trained. I like it more. Sometimes it's really sweet. Sometimes it's still really hard. But what I'm saying is, I've been made adequate. And if you have the Spirit of Christ, you've been made adequate. Not just to, you know, do the things that you have on your plate to do. You have been made adequate to fulfill God's mission in the world. You've been made adequate for new covenant ministry. I think that's pretty amazing. And if you're like most of the people that I know, even though I don't know all of you, and you struggle with being overly confident or wallowing in self-pity, just memorize this verse. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. This is my confidence that I have through Christ toward God. I'm not adequate in myself to do or claim anything for myself. My adequacy comes from God. He's made me adequate. He's made me adequate. That's self-talk that we all need. Paul brings up covenant again now, this time a lot more directly. So we pushed the pause button earlier on covenant. Now it's time to push play again. Verse six, God says, God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. So God has made us adequate to serve in this relationship of greatest, most personal commitment. And he gave us himself. He gave us the spirit to do that. And then it says, but the, for the letter kills, 
but the Spirit gives life. So what does that even mean, the letter kills? He's referring to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He's saying that God's word brings about death. How, do, how does the law kill? How does the letter kill? Fortunately, Paul answers that in Romans 7. He says, It was the law that showed me my sin. I never would have known that coveting, for example, is wrong if the law wouldn't have said to me, you must not covet. But sin used that command. He, the sin, Mr. Sin used the law to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would have not had that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But then when I learned the command not to covet, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, if you did them, they brought spiritual death because we couldn't do it. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still the law is good, and its commands are holy, right, and good. So how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So that, this is the important part, the end of verse 13, so that we can see how terrible sin really is. So the law brought about death so that we could see how terrible our sin is. So the letter kills, Paul says, so that we can see how terrible our sin is, but the Spirit gives life. We need to see how terrible our sin is so that we're not tempted to believe that lie that we are adequate in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Once we start believing that we're good enough on our own to do anything to please God, to do anything apart from him, We've forgotten how terrible our sin really is. But he says, the letter kills, the spirit gives life. So let's hear some good news from Romans 8, verse 10. And Christ lives within you so that even though your body will die because of sin and how terrible sin is, your body's gonna die, but the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The spirit of God, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So the law, the law and the letter of the law kills. That sounds like really bad self-talk, really negative thinking, but because it's true, it's actually helpful. It's transformational. I cannot do this on my own. I don't have what it takes but the Spirit gives life. In Christ, I have who it takes. I'm both dead in my sin and I'm alive in Christ. And in Christ, my sin has been put to death. I'm no longer ashamed. I'm no longer guilty because he's paid that penalty. The letter kills. The penalty for sin really is death. And that's why Jesus had to die. He was taking our place. But the Spirit gives life. The same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead lives in those who trust him. This is the most powerful form of thinking because it's not based on positive thoughts or negative thoughts. It's based on truth, reality. And it's not really self-talk. 
It never was. It never will be self-talk. You're hearing from God or you're hearing from the devil. And we're all responding to both of them. It's an internal dialogue is what it is. And we all have these internal dialogues all the time. And so we need, we need to hear from God as to how the gospel speaks to both our greatest fears and our greatest hopes. The gospel speaks to our greatest fears and our greatest hopes by saying that we are more sinful and more flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Sin is utterly sinful. It's repulsive. It's worse than we ever imagined. But at the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And so the gospel speaks to our greatest fears and our greatest hopes in a way that we can find stability in the midst of instability, strength in the midst of weakness. And because the good news is not about us, it's about Jesus, that stability and that strength is found in him. So our application today is really simple. It's preach this gospel to yourself. And as a result of preaching it to yourself, you're, you're actually going to be more inclined to want to share it with others because you've tasted and seen the goodness of it. You've actually experienced change yourself. The gospel isn't just for the unchurched. It's also not just for the churched. It's not just for those who think that they need it or it's not just for us when we want to feel better about ourselves. It's for everyone, everywhere, all the time. And so we're going to do this application uh, in two parts. I'm going to spend some time reflecting on what's been my self-talk story, what's been my narrative, what have I been thinking, or if you're a feeler, what have I been feeling, what's the script of your self-talk, and then we're going to spend time declaring the truth. God has made me adequate in Christ. First, by Christ covering my sin, and then by Christ continuing to transform me as I walk with him. So we're going to close in prayer, doing this application. So, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. We're going to spend time thinking about our thinking now and reflecting on our self-talk and Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd show us what we've really been believing, what's been going through our minds, what's been the narrative of our heart lately. Now, God, however clear or unclear 
the state of our heart is. To us, we know it's clear to you, and so we declare your truth to us. That we bring nothing to the table on our own, but that you, by your grace, you've made us adequate. Adequate to be in relationship with you, that we are fully loved and fully accepted and adequate to, to participate in the life-giving work that you're doing. Continue talking to God and proclaiming that good news to yourself.